that is Brother Dwight and I are both preaching during the evening services. You say, Brother Paul, I can't stay that long. That's all right. Like my friend before me, I will be short. You can take that however you want, but uh, <coughs> we found out something in the service last night. I mentioned no one ever talks about short, dark, and handsome, but there is such a man here, Brother Joe Camacho. That's right, and uh, <laughs> so the good news is there's someone that's short, dark, and handsome. The bad news is he's already married. He's already taken, so anyway... The truth of the matter is, when we come to prophetic events in the Bible, there is always a desire to correlate them with current events. Now, it is possible at times to take the Word of God in one hand and the newspaper in another, if you still read the newspaper or the, your website or whatever, and you can see many correlations because the Bible is a timeless book. However, there has always been a tendency to be troubled by current events and mistaking those current events for prophetic events. Now, I want us to see this in the Word of God. Uh, We're we're, we're, we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, but let's look at chapter 2, first of all. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, notice what it says in verse 1. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, notice verse 2, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now notice, there was a tendency, there was a problem with them being troubled. What, were, what was troubling them? Well, they looked around at current events, and they had a tendency to mistake those event, those current events for prophetic events. That's not the only time it's mentioned. You've got 2 Thessalonians there. Notice what the Bible says in chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, in, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. So the Apostle Paul says, hey, you're suffering for Jesus Christ, but that's a wonderful thing. Now watch verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that, here's the word, trouble you. Now watch verse 7. Here's the word again. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. To you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Now, I want to I wanna give you three simple responses as we think about current events 
in light of prophetic events. Father, thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts, Lord. And Lord, not only as I uh, endeavor to preach the word of God, but also as Brother Smith comes in just a moment to bring the main message. And so speak to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now, would you take your Bible and turn to the book of First Thessalonians? It shouldn't be far for you. First Thessalonians. It is in First Thessalonians that we will remain for the rest of the message. The Thessalonian believers had a problem being troubled by what they were experiencing, what they were seeing in the present time, and, and versus their understanding of prophetic events. And I'm going to say, there's a, there's a lot of that tendency today. There are places where if you begin to talk about prophecy, people want to come to the prophecy uh, meeting, and they want to hear what the Bible has to say, and they want to know how that what they are seeing on the news correlates to what they see in the Word of God. And so I want, to, I want to just make some statements about that. We're seeing some things happen in the news today that are very troubling at best. We're seeing the, uh, uh, a vicious attack by Hamas on some otherwise innocent people. I mean, we don't, they never did anything to Hamas as far as we can tell. But as they were at a concert, some of them were uh, at a concert that was supposed to be promoting peace in the region. These people went in there. There were families that were incinerated. There were babies that were decapitated. There were all kinds of atrocities committed, not only against Israeli civilians, but also against civilians and, and people from other nations who were visiting the country. And now what has happened? Well, in retaliation for this, now Israel has gone into Gaza, and now Palestinians are losing their lives. And now there are all over the world, there are all kinds of rallies and all kinds of unrest. How does it fit into Bible prophecy? What does it mean for you and for me? Now let me tell you, sometimes you'll hear this statement. I, I think you have to be very careful. Someone will get up and they will say, every day we're seeing Bible prophecy fulfilled before our very eyes. I'm a little nervous when someone makes that statement because the next event on God's prophetic calendar is a trumpet that's going to sound. And if you and I know Jesus Christ as Savior, we are going to be gone. We're going to be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Those people who have uh, been saved and yet they have gone on before us in death, their bodies are going to be caught up too. You and I are going to be changed and we're going, to meet, we're going to have a reunion in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what the Bible says. And so when I hear people say, every day we're seeing prophecy fulfilled before our very eyes, I think to myself, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just what do you mean by that? If they mean by that, that I can see evidence of the Lord gathering His people Israel back to the land of Israel, well, then I'm okay with that statement. But otherwise, I'm a little bit nervous about it. So how are you and I to respond when we live in days of unprecedented current events? How are we to correlate those with prophetic events? I'm going to give you three very simple words, okay? Three very simple words. How are you and I to respond when it comes to correlating current events to prophetic events? Number one, we are to watch. Now, you're in 1 Thessalonians. Flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We've noticed this verse already, but look what it says in verse 6. The Scripture says, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. 
Can I tell you the first thing that you and I are to do in light of prophetic events is we're to watch. Now, what does it mean to watch? I, I think the Bible has all kinds of uh, admonitions for you and me to watch when it comes to the second coming. For example, the Lord Jesus, while he was on this earth, said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42, he said, watch ye therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord will come. Again, in, in uh, Mark chapter 13 and verse 37, he said, what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. He, what is he doing? He's talking about uh, end time events. And he says, listen, it is incumbent upon every one of us to watch. Simon Peter must have gotten the message because under inspiration of the Spirit, he said in 1 Peter 4 and verse 7, but, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now, when the Bible says in light of, of end time events, you and I are to watch, what does that mean? I want to suggest two things that it means when the Bible says that you and I are to watch. Number one, when the Bible says that you and I are to watch, we are to interpret every new event in light of the Word of God. Now, let me tell you, if you get on social media today and you find any kind of post about, uh, about the, the conflict in the Middle East right now, you're going to see a couple of passages of Scripture thrown around. Maybe you'll see Psalm 83 thrown around. Someone will mention, is this the invasion of Psalm 83? Well, I'm going to tell you, if you're going to be a Christian who watches, you're going to have to open your Bible. And you're going to have to read Psalm 83. And you're going to have to see what Psalm 83 has to say. You're going to have to dig a little bit in Psalm 83. You're going to have to understand the meaning of some, of some words. You may have to come to Pastor Thane or Pastor Wes or Pastor Monday, and you, you may have to say, hey, Pastor, it says this here. I'm not really sure what it means. But you're gonna, if you're going to be a Christian who watches, you're going to have to learn to compare what you see around you to the Word of God. Listen, don't compare it to the guy's social media post. Compare it to the Bible. Another passage of Scripture may, you may see on social media is Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. You may see people asking the question, is this the preparation for the invasion of Ezekiel 38 and 39? Well, again, you're going to have to dig into your Bible. You're going to have to seek out the book of the law and read, as Isaiah told his, his hearers to do. You're going to have to get into the Word of God, and you're going to have to find out what it says. That's all contained when our Lord says, Watch. I'm supposed to know what's going on in the world, and I'm supposed to be able to compare it to the Word of God. All right? But there's something else that I believe is included in the concept of watching. The Bible tells us to watch. I believe not only do we interpret every new event in the light of the Word of God, but we live every day as if Jesus could come today. Watch. Watch. It's just the time of year. I, as the sun begins to get lower in the sky, I just get deer hunting on the brain. That's just me. And for me, and in the state of Mississippi where I often hunt, sometimes I'll go into the stand, oh, I don't know, 1 or 2 o'clock. And, uh, you know, you go into the stand at 1 or 2 o'clock. I hunt a lot of public land, so I go on foot a long ways back in there. And, man, it, I just got to tell you, in Mississippi during the deer season, especially in the middle part of the day, it's stinking hot. And I'm carrying all kinds of stuff, and I get back there. And this is, this is what I do often on public land. I will set up everything and then I will take a nap. That's what the deer are doing. I might as well do it, right? 
I curl up like some lizard in the sun, and I just, oh. And I had to get up at 3 in the morning to get here because I live so stinking far away from my hunting spot. And I just kind of curl up, and I fall asleep. But something begins to happen, oh, I don't know, around about 3.45 p.m., Brother Tyler. The sun begins to get lower. And all of a sudden, I'm not sleeping anymore. I'm upright. And I'm watching and I'm looking at every little opening there that comes out into the clearing over which I'm hunting. Why am I doing that? Because that is the time when the deer are moving. Why am I watching the woods? Because I know at any point in time that buck may step out. And that's what the word watch means for you and me. We're not looking for a buck. We're looking for the Savior of the world. So the Bible tells us we should watch. Here's the second word the Bible uses. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, can you go there please? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, just a page or two over. Not only is there the word watch, but there is the word work. The word work. Now notice what the Bible says. In verse 9, 1 Thessalonians now, chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to, here's the word, serve, to serve the living and true God. Now, I don't, I don't care where you are in this world or what culture you're in, the word serve always means work. So here were these Thessalonian believers. They got saved. They had been worshiping and serving idols, but when they, when they got saved, they were now worshiping God, and they were serving God. Let me tell you, there are some people that go around, they fill their head with prophecy, but they can't remember the last time they tried to give the gospel to an unsaved person. If that is your response to Bible prophecy, it is not a Bible response to Bible prophecy because the Bible response is, is this. Jesus could come today. But if he doesn't, I'm going to work for him today. I'm going to work for him today because I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to be. Maybe that's what the Lord Jesus was speaking of when he told a story regarding the end times in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. In verse 13, he's telling the story, and he talks about a nobleman who had ten servants. Verse 13, the Bible says, and when he called his ten servants, he delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, here's the word, occupy till I come. If you, are, if you are in a high school today, a guidance counselor may talk to the students about their occupation. What does that mean? It means, presumably, you're going to leave this high school upon graduation and you're going to get a job. That job is your occupation. I want to ask you, child of God, what's your Christian occupation? What's your Christian occupation? What, uh, what is it about being a Christian that, in, that means you do some work? Because it's important that we do some work. The Bible talks about every one of us having gifts that are different, and that's a wonderful thing. But I want to tell you, in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming again, it's important that you and I work. It's important that you and I have something to do. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. You can turn there if you like. But the Bible says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope and grace, may God comfort your hearts, Paul said, and establish you in every good word and work. So one of the reasons we would have a revival meeting in which we focus solely on end time events is to remind you and to remind us that because Jesus is coming again, 
we'd better be working. So there's the word watch. There's the word work. And third and finally, there's the word wait. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Notice what the Bible says in verse 10. The Bible says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I, I think this, this matter of waiting is important too. I want you to think about this. In every, in every era of Christian history, going all the way back to the time of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was the one that wrote those words in 2 Thessalonians, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. He said, hey, we're already headed toward this thing. And all the disciples believed that Jesus Christ could come back in their lifetime. It was Simon Peter who had heard the angels say, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which was taken up from you shall so come again in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. That was Simon Peter heard that. And Simon Peter went to his, uh, went to his dying day thinking this might be the day when Jesus Christ could come back. But here me. Jesus didn't come back in Simon Peter's lifetime. He didn't come back in the Apostle Paul's lifetime. And uh, what does that mean? Well, Simon Peter said one of the things that it means is that people are going to assume that because he has not yet come, that he will not come. This know also that in the last days scoffers shall come, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Simon Peter predicted that. And that's where waiting comes in. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not good at waiting. The worst place in all of the world that I can think of right now is called a waiting room. There, it's a little bit better now that we can bring a cell phone into the waiting room. But before cell phones, before you could get on the internet and uh, watch highlights of the football game from Monday night or whatever, before all of that was in place, uh, you had to go in. Uh, I remember when my wife was, uh, was going to, to give birth to our firstborn. In those days, Pastor Monday, I went with her to her prenatal checkups. Subsequent children, I figured out there's nothing I can do to help her anyway. You're on your own, sweetheart. Just go on. But anyway, in those early days, I accompanied her. I went with her. And I, I was in this place. It was all about women. It was just, it was made by women. It was designed by women. It was decorated by women. It was made for women. I went in there. There was Good Housekeeping magazine. There was Better Homes and Gardens. There was Red Book, which was neither red nor a book. I don't know. All, I, don't, I don't even know what those things mean. And I thought to myself, did nobody ever bring Patrick McManus or Outdoor Life or Field and Stream or American Hunter or something? Don't, don't they even think about me? The fact is, no, they didn't. And I remember the times when I have to sit there and wait and wait and wait. Are you good at waiting? I'm going to tell you, when it comes to the second coming, you and I have got to learn to wait. I would love it if everything that we see going on in the Middle East right now culminated in a trumpet and immediately after the trumpet and the rapture of the church, the Antichrist was brought on the, on the earth scene. And uh, seven years later, we enter the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. That would be wonderful. But every Bible-believing believer from the New Testament time till this has said the same thing that I just said. And up till now, Christ hasn't come back. 
Which means that just as they had to wait, so you and I have to wait. I think waiting means that you and I are to let God work in His time. Now that's not easy. But it's important that you and I do it, not only now, but throughout all of our Christian life, but especially as it pertains to the second coming of Christ. Three responses that you, ought to, you and I ought to have. Number one, we ought to watch. Number two, we ought to work. Number three, we ought to wait. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity to look into your word. And now, Lord, as we, as we uh, open our mouths once more to sing and then to hear what you have for us, I pray that you would work in the time to come and uh, in all, that is, all of that is to follow. We ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, we're going to have you stand at this time. And we're going to sing another song right before the offering. So let's, let's have you stand. Remember the song that we did last night with Brother Dwight, Behold He Comes. Now, I want to help you, okay? I think Brother Dwight held out those first notes so long that some of you were thinking, it's not going to be Brother Paul that makes us pass out in the singing. It's going to be Brother Dwight, okay? So here's what you do. If we're holding the note a little bit too long, just catch a sneak breath and get back in. Behold, he come comes. Now, that's what you do, okay? That's what you do. That's what you do, all right? Now, I know in saying that, I may lose my opportunity to see you pass out. But that's what you can do, okay? Behold, he comes, and every eye shall see him, all right? So here we go, just like we did last night, okay? Sopranos up there, that's kind of high after a church meal, isn't it? All right, but that's good. It was a good warm up. Let's sing it again. All right, here we go. Monday is coming now to take the offering. Thank you. You may be seated. Ushers, can I get you guys come on up? You know, that wasn't in the schedule. We really messed this up tonight. It's a good thing we're not just uh, like very particular on these schedules, right? So, <clears throat> so. And he's up early. Hey, don't come back here. We're going to have to have a marital counseling session. <coughs> uh, <coughs> and pastor didn't see his wife for three days, but then the swelling started going down. <coughs> All right. Well, 
I, I heard maybe we doubled their offering. They might have $600 to send them on the way now. So, But we just want to give you an opportunity, if you haven't been able to give, to help these guys. That would be great. And uh, uh, it, it's been a blessing to have these guys and just want to be able to help them and uh, give you an opportunity to uh, give to uh, help with their ministry. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord. Help us to... Help us to truly be uh, looking to you and, and Lord, just uh, staying busy, doing what we need to be doing, serving you and watching to you and uh, working and, and waiting. And Lord, we just pray that you will bless now, bless this offering, that it will meet the needs that they have. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible, please, and turn with me to the book of Revelation. Would you do that? We're going to go to several places in the Word of God tonight. I want to start in the book of Revelation, and then I would like us to go to several passages. If you're taking notes, this would be a good message to take notes in so that you can uh, kind of keep track and go back at some other point and see what, uh, what, what is... Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love to us, your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for the power of the word of God. I pray, dear Lord Jesus, that you would work in a very mighty way. Lord, I pray that tonight you would take the words that have already been preached and help us. 
Help us, Lord Jesus, to have a, a, a sense of your presence and your power. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would sense your convicting power tonight, that that would go up and down the aisles and in and throughout the seats, Lord, and that it would most importantly go straight to our hearts. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will work in a very unusual way. Lord, we'll thank you for what you do and how you work, because all this we ask in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. Revelation chapter 20, I want to draw your attention to what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the dead in the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is only one of five of the final judgments. It's the last of the five final judgments, but it is only one of the five final judgments. And tonight, for a few moments, I want to preach to you on the subject, the five final judgments of God. The five final judgments of God. Some people for years have believed there's just one general judgment, and they'll go to Matthew 13, or they'll go to Matthew 25, which we'll go to tonight, and they say, well, there's just one judgment where the saints and the sinners are parted right and left. Are you ready for that day to come? But that's not a Bible concept. There are, in fact, five final judgments. You will be at at least one of them. You will be at at least one of them. And determining which judgment you will be at tonight will help you know what your responsibility is in light of Bible prophecy and in light of the coming judgment of God. You will be at one of them, not just as a witness, but as one on trial. Now, judgment in a trial is never something very happy, never something very uh, light. It's something serious, something momentous, something important, something you get dressed up for, something you work up to, something you get emotionally built up for. Uh, sometimes you, you think, well, wh I don't know why I have to go to this. Why am I going before the judge and why am I on trial? And I'm sure certain people are asking themselves that question in these days. But I want you to go first with me to the book of Romans chapter 14 and let's see these judgments as they play out in the word of God. Romans chapter 14 in the Word of God. Look at what the Scripture says in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, back to the left, just a few books, and you'll find Romans 14. He's speaking here about the weaker brother, the, the, the matter of uncertain things. And he says in Romans chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now he's speaking here and he says, we're going to give an account to God. In verse 11, it says, as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Do you know who he's speaking to specifically in Romans 14? Believers. I want to present to you the first judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. 
Would you say that with me? The judgment seat of Christ. Would you say it again? The judgment seat of Christ. Paul sometimes referred to it as the Bema seat because there actually was a Bema seat that was a physical court and a physical judgment in his day. And it was a fearsome thing and a fearful thing to approach that. Notice, turn to, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 3, to your right, just a book or so, and you'll come to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is a classic passage on the judgment seat of Christ. Notice 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 11. Paul says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a time of reward. A time of reward. The judgment seat of Christ will either be a time of reward or loss of reward. Where will that happen? Where will the judgment seat of Christ happen? It will happen in heaven. When will the judgment seat of Christ happen? It will happen immediately following the rapture. That's the very next event after the rapture. The very next event on God's timetable is the rapture. It could happen at any moment. It is an imminent event. No man knows the day or the hour. Uh, the day of Christ is not at hand, but, but we should be looking, as we just heard, watching, waiting, working, and, and praying, seeking the Lord. But immediately following the rapture, when we're caught up to the glory, we're going to give an account to God. Uh, where are you going to be after the rapture? Well, you said, preacher, I want to go see up and down Glory Avenue. Uh, so, preacher, I want to I want to go see what my mansion's going to look like. So, I, I want to go see my loved ones who've gone before. None of that will take place until the judgment seat of Christ has happened. Now, are you ready for the judgment seat of Christ? Who will be at this judgment? Only believers. There will be no unbelievers at the judgment seat of Christ. Your, your sin will not be judged at the judgment seat of Christ because that was judged when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And the scripture says that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That's not so much uh, pointing to the fact of the judgment seat of Christ as much as if we don't judge ourselves. He's saying that in light of <clears throat> the uh, uh, getting ready for the Lord's table. He said if we would judge ourselves and get rid of the sin and confess it and forsake it and replace it, then we won't face the chast chastening hand of God. But, but watch, at the judgment seat of Christ, we will give an account for our works from the moment we trusted Christ as Savior to the moment we saw the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to give an account. Were our works good, wood, hay, stubble? That is done in the flesh or in the power of the flesh or for the glory of the flesh, the glory of self? Or were they, or were they gold, silver, precious stones? Now look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse number 11, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse number 13, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire for the and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. In other words, Jesus Christ is going to look at our works and they're going to burn up. Now, I don't want my work to burn up at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't want to suffer loss. Do you want to suffer loss? Does that make any sense? I don't want my house right now to burn up. 
uh, I'd like it to last. And, you know, I always wonder if it's going to burn up after my wife and I go on a date and we leave the kids at home. We wonder if we're going to find a pile of ashes at the house. Uh, I don't want my house now to burn up. I certainly don't want my, my, my works that I've done for the Lord Jesus Christ to burn up at the judgment seat. Do you? I don't want that. Now, I want you just to listen at, at, at what the Bible says in the book of uh, second in the book of second Peter, chapter number two. Listen to what the scripture says. Second Peter, chapter number uh, one, excuse me, dealing with this very matter. He says, add to your faith virtue and to virtue, knowledge and to knowledge, temperance and to temperance, patience and to patience, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, charity. Watch this. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Watch now. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what I want when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ? An abundant entrance. And you say, how do you do that? Well, you win souls. There are going to be crowns for those that win people to Jesus Christ. You, you look for Jesus coming and wait, just like Paul preached tonight. The Bible says that, that, that God has a crown of, righteous, not, crown of righteousness, not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. 2 Timothy chapter 4. There's going to be a crown given for, for suffering, the martyr's crown. There'll be a crown for a preacher and, and a preacher and all that he's doing for the Lord. And then there'll be a crown for those that take care of the preacher. There are five crowns that you can win at the judgment seat of Christ and earn. You, you know how you earn them? Now. Now. Now, I know that's hard for us to think about. Because we live very much in what we see and what we can feel and what we can taste and what we can uh, experience with our five senses. But there is a sixth sense that a Christian has, and that's an eternal sense. Are you living for eternity? What did you do today that was for eternity? Mama, you took care of your children and you, you, you invested in your children's life. That's an, eternal, that's an eternal matter. That's not small. That's not insignificant. You took care of your home and took care of your husband's needs. That's not small. That's very important. Sir, what did you do today that counts for eternity? What did you do today? Did you give out a gospel tract? Did you lead your family in some kind of a prayer? Did you, did you point them to the Lord? Did you talk about the Lord? What are you doing now that's going to affect that day? A.W. Tozer, the great preacher of days gone by, said there ought to be two days on our calendar, today and that day. You don't have yesterday, so you shouldn't sulk about it. I wonder if there's someone in this room tonight who cannot and will not get over something in the past. I wonder if there's someone here like that. Now, the past is the past. There's nothing you can do about it. And you surely shouldn't live in the past. You say, well, preacher, what about the regret that I have? Let regret be your teacher, but not your roommate. Move beyond the past, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, seeing him who is invisible, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing on to those things which are before. Don't live in the past. The past is, is gone. You don't have tomorrow promised. You don't have tomorrow promised, uh, you, you, but you have today. Live today for that day. That's the whole idea of the judgment seat of Christ. And live today in the power of the Holy Spirit. Every day that a Christian lives, they should say, Lord, fill me with your spirit today. Control my lips and my eyes and my thoughts. Help me, Lord, to be filled with you and help me to impact someone today for eternity. 
We ought to be giving out the gospel. We ought to be praying, laying up treasures in heaven of answered prayer. We ought to be gleaning things from the word of God. We ought to be living today for that day. You see, there's going to be a time of reward. And I believe that people will see their house burn up on that day. Wood, hay, stubble. All the moments they live for, for themselves. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 quickly. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Brother Shannon, I think it's significant to note that the two classic passages on the judgment seat of Christ are written to the church at Corinth. The church that struggled with the most carnality. Now I want to say something. If you're carnal, nobody is condemning you for carnality. We all struggle in some form or another with fleshly living and fleshly thoughts and fleshly words and fleshly actions. But if you stay that way, that's a problem. If you don't care that you're that way and you claim to be a Christian, that's a problem. And here he speaks in 1 Corinthians 3 and deals with the judgment seat of Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look please at verse, verse, number, uh, verse number 8. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8. He says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He says, whether there, he says, verse 9, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man, everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Young people, look right up at me. I don't want to scare you, and I don't want you to have fear when I say this right now, but you may not see your adult years. Jesus may come before then. You need to live in such a way so that your friendships, that those that you influence, the words that you say, the things that you post, the way that you witness is going to count on that day. I think of a, a young man that I met a few years ago at a camp out in California. And, uh, and he, he would come to me every, every day, and he would come to my cabin where I was staying, and he'd say, hey, Brother Dwight, you want to pray before the service? Man, he was a blessing, just a big blessing. And his name was Paul, Paul Alamoran. And uh, I was so excited. You know, we would go, we would get down on our knees, and we'd pray, me and him and some of his other buddies. He won the push-up contest that week, so he wasn't just all spiritual. He was just a great guy. He had a, a love for the Lord. You know, Paul, Paul uh, was just a vivacious, happy Christian. And you know, I didn't see him after that, and I've never seen him since. I just went over to his parents' house and ate this last February or March. You know, Paul went up to a missions trip up in, up in Washington with his youth group, and they were in a VBS all week long. They went out to the beach just to celebrate what God had done. They weren't even planning on swimming. It was cold. They were just having a, a, a campfire on the beach, and they got about an ankle deep in the water, and then they got knee deep in the water, and they got a little deeper, and all of a sudden, Paul felt a strong riptide, and he knew what was happening. He grabbed his sister, and he threw her out of the current. Then he reached and he grabbed somebody else and threw her out. And when he grabbed his sister and threw her back and went back, she said, where are you going? He said, I got to get somebody else. And he grabbed another teenager and threw him out of the riptide. And he was swept away to sin. We never saw Paul again. You may not see tomorrow. You need to live in light of eternity. Hey, can I say to some of you young married couples that are here that have brand new babies and young kids, hey, you, I, wanna, I want you to have a long, full life. I'm not saying this in any way. But, you know, Jesus could come before your kid turns their next birthday. What are you doing right now to live for that day? How are you investing in that day? Hey, some of you that are kids, your kids are teenagers and they're getting out of the house and going to college. You, you may not see your kids finish college. 
Not, I, I don't know what the Lord has. The truth is there's no sense in any of us worrying about it because we can't change it anyway. But Jesus could come. What would you do if Jesus came today? Every man must receive the things done in his body, whether they be good or bad. Now, this is the judgment of reward. Some people are going to realize on that day that they're suffering loss because they wasted this life. They wasted these moments. They went to church whenever there was dinner on the ground. They went to church whenever some newfangled evangelist came wheeling into town and they could see some new instrument that they played. They went to church whenever there was some special announcement. They definitely went to church when there was a business meeting and a vote. But boy, on the regular days of Wednesday and Sunday and Sunday night and quam, and when they could really do something for the Lord, no, you couldn't find them with a we couldn't find them with a posse from heaven. No, they're somewhere else. They're running their kids off to soccer. They're running, running all over the country, doing everything but serving the Lord. That's carnality. That's not what God wants. And then their home life was nothing really to speak of. It's not something growing, and, and the husband wasn't growing in his leadership to his family, and the wife wasn't growing in her nurturing to her family, and the children weren't growing. Everybody was on their devices 99% of the time. Nobody was talking to each other. Nobody was listening to each other. Nobody was loving each other and selflessly living for each other. And what a waste that's going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. And you know, we're going to see on that day at the judgment seat other people getting reward and us saying, I wish I had. Someone said it's better to live your life saying, thank God I did than what a God I had. And all that we'd have some Christians tonight who would say, I am not going to live another week and another month for self. I'm going to live it for eternity and I'm going to live it for the Savior and I'm going to live it for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're doing that, keep doing that because that's when the reward comes. And you know, I want to say something a little over a long period of time adds up. Two years ago in 2019, I just decided I was going to figure out and tabulate how much the Lord had allowed us to, to give over the last 25 years or so. And I was floored. I don't keep much track of that, and I don't have that figure in my mind on a regular basis, but I was floored. You know what I was floored at? A little over a long period of time. Consistently done for the Lord makes a difference. Sometimes we get enamored with the big and the sensational, and we wish we could be a part of that. Oh, no, a little bit over a long time. You just be faithful in the little things, and you know what's going to happen on that day? God's going to floor you. He's going to knock your socks off with how much you were able to accomplish just being faithful and how much he was able to accomplish through you and how good he was to you. He's just going to knock your socks off. I want you to understand, number one, there's the judgment seat of Christ. It is for believers. It happens in heaven, and it happens immediately after the rapture. Number two, quickly, we're going to move through these next three judgments quickly. Number two is the judgment of the living nations. The judgment of the living nations. Would you say it with me? The judgment of the living nations. Would you say it again? The judgment of the living nations. These are the judgment of the living nations, and this is not going to be a time of reward, but a time of rending. A time of rending. When will this happen? Well, watch this now. Immediately following, the immediately next is the rapture, after which there is the judgment seat of Christ, only for believers and, uh, and in heaven. Then after the judgment seat of Christ in heaven, there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you think we ate good tonight. Woo, just wait till we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be some kind of good, and there's not going to be any MSG. And so, oh boy, it's going to be a wonderful time. We get to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What's happening down on earth? Well, at the end of that marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus Christ is going to get on his horse, and we're going to get on horses prepared for us, and we're going to follow him down. And as Paul preached earlier this week, we're going to watch Jesus do battle 
battle royale with the devil and with the Antichrist. And it's going to be some kind of fireworks, some kind of war, some kind of a battle. And, and watch, at the end of that, there's going to be the judgment of the living nations. It will happen at the end of the tribulation. Revelation 20, listen to what the Bible says. It says, she shall, he, Satan shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So watch, watch, watch what's happened. Watch. At the end, at the end you have, in Revelation chapter 20, the time of the millennial reign. Watch, there's going to be the judgment of the nations. It will be the nations and what they did with Jesus Christ, what they did with the word of God, and what they did with God's people. Those are going to be the criteria. What they did with Jesus Christ, what they did with the word of God, and what they did with God's people. And I believe this is going to happen at the end of the millennial reign. I said tribulation earlier. Look at Matthew 13. Would you Matthew 13? Turn back to Matthew 13 and see what the Bible says. In Matthew chapter 13, the Bible says in verse number 40. The Bible says, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be weeping, or wailing, and gnashing of teeth. So watch, the devil is constantly trying to deceive nations. Am I the only one that sees the devil trying to deceive people in America? He's trying to deceive people in America. He's trying to deceive leaders in America. And what are the leaders right now in America doing with the word of God? Trampling it underfoot, ignoring it in large part. Thank God we have a speaker of the house that seems to speak plainly and honestly about the word of God and his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. Uh, do you know that Papua New Guinea a few years ago decided they wanted every one of their public school kids to have a Bible? Every single one of them. From the prime minister, this came. And so there were thousands of dollars raised and thousands of Bibles sent over to Papua New Guinea. Well, Papua New Guinea was a tribe of headhunters and a tribe of cannibals just little over decades ago. It's, it's got the sky's the limit for what God's going to do in Papua New Guinea. Why? Because they're saying we want the word of God. We want the word of God. They tell me that other nations have that response. We want the word of God and we want to do what it says. Hey, any nation that does that with the word of God is going to embrace the truth and reject lies. That's what we need in our culture. And that's what we need to influence our leaders to do. Watch, there is the judgment of the living nations. Look at Matthew 25, since we're in Matthew. Matthew 25. Notice verse number 31, Matthew 25, 31. It says, as it, Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and the, all the holy angels with him, then shall the, he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Now watch this. The nations will be judged based on what they did with Jesus Christ. What are the nations going to do during the tribulation? Follow the Antichrist. What are they going to do with the word of God during the tribulation? Reject it. What are they going to do uh, at the end of the tribulation? The Bible says they're, they're rejecting it, following the Antichrist right there into the valley of Megiddo. What do they do with God's people? They reject God's people. And, and what does God do with them? Well, he's going to divide them, the sheep from the goats. 
Number two is the judgment of the nations. It's a judgment that is a time of rending. Quickly, number three, there's the judgment of Israel. The judgment of Israel. Of course, this is going to be at the end of the tribulation, and it's going to be when Israel sees that Jesus Christ is the true Messiah. Now I want you to turn to Zechariah. Back just a few pages in, from Matthew, you'll come into Zechariah, Haggai and Zechariah. I read this a couple of days ago, and it blessed my heart. Zechariah chapter number 12. Now, the judgment of Israel is going to happen at the end of the tribulation. It's going to be a time of realization. According to Joel, Joel chapter 2, it's going to be in the valley of Jehoshaphat. But look at Zechariah chapter 12, verse 9. Zechariah 12, verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him. As one mourneth for his only son, I shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the morning of Hadadrimon in the valley of Megiddon. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart, all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. This is going to be a time of realization. Why? Because they'll look on me, he says, whom they pierced. How did Jesus come in the first place? Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The Bible says that when he came, he came and was born of a virgin. Well, do you think most people, especially the religious leaders, believe that? Oh, how was he born? Born of a virgin. Who is his father? That was an important question in Israel. Oh, his, he, he was born of a virgin. Yeah, right. So you know what Jesus was called all the way into his 30s? An illegitimate son. In, in the book of John, chapter number 9, when he was, John chapter 8 and 9, when he was talking about who he, he was and who his descendants, who his an ancestors were, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to stone him because he was talking about his eternality. And in that same passage, they looked at him and said, we be not born of fornication. Jesus was called an illegitimate son all of his life. Jesus was despised and rejected of men. Sometimes the movie Hollywood scenes depict Jesus as, as always wearing a white <clears throat> robe and a blue sash and, and almost having a halo, and, and he wasn't Anglo-Saxon, and he didn't have a British accent. Let me just put that out there. And, and, uh, and, and they always present him as someone standing out in the crowd. No. If Jesus were here, he wouldn't be someone standing out in the crowd. In fact, he may be someone we would move away from. Who was he despised and rejected of men? And you know, Israel is going to see him on that day, and they're going to look on me whom they've pierced, he said. We, he told them that he would be pierced. He told them in the prophet Joel. He told them in the prophet Zechariah. 
He told them that all his bones would be pulled out of joint. He told them that he would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7. He told them that his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He told them that he would be born and that he would live a sinless life in the book of Psalms. He told them that he would would have stripes born on his back and with his stripes we were healed. And on that day, they're going to look on Jesus and they're going to weep. They're going to realize that for centuries and decades, they rejected the Son of God, and they were the ones that watched him pierced and stirred up the mob against him. He said, as your fathers did, so do ye. And they did. They nailed him to the cross. Wow. I was talking to a friend of mine named Alex. He's called Sasha. That's his name. And, but his name, American name was Alex. He was from from Ethiopia. He's an Ethiopian Jew. And when I first met him, he was very ignorant concerning the Bible. I was really careful. I was only giving him Old Testament scriptures, and I was very careful. I didn't talk to him about Jesus being the Messiah until the third or fourth time that I talked to him. You know what? He, he, I, he, he, comp- he was completely, stunningly ignorant concerning the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. I was shocked of that. In fact, he was stunningly ignorant of much of the Old Testament. I sent him a picture of Noah and the ark and people trying to climb up into the ark and get their kids to the highest ground. And I said, does this remind you of any Old Testament story? You know what he said? None that I can think of. I was shocked at that. And, and, and I, I just couldn't handle it. It was about the third or fourth time we'd communicated. And I said, Alex, do you know for sure that if you died today that you'd go to heaven? You know what he said? You know, I, I need to ask my rabbi that. Well, your rabbi can't answer that for you. Your preacher can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that for you and the Holy Spirit of God. And then you know what he did? Shocked me, stirred me to my core. He sent me a, literally a picture of a piece of shrapnel that his rabbi had given him, female rabbi, by the way, had given him a, pic, a, a piece of shrapnel that had been uh, from a bomb, from a, uh, fr- from a suicide bomber that had killed 12 people. And you know what was inscribed on it? In Hebrew letters, in Israel, there is life. Oh, my. Well, it wasn't life. Israel didn't give life to those 12 people that died that day. Israel didn't keep, keep that shrapnel from killing someone. What a tragedy. There's such blindness. You know what I believe Alex is going to do on that day if he doesn't trust Christ? Well, he's going to bend his knee. But you know what he's going to realize? Jesus was the Messiah. And then look at Zechariah 13 quickly. Look at Zechariah 13 quickly. Remember, there's the judgment seat of Christ. That's a time of, of, of reward. There's the judgment of the nations. That's the time of uh, the judgment of the nations is a time of rending. Then there's the judgment of Israel. This is a time of realization. Look at Zechariah 13. It says in Zechariah 13, 1, in that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, into the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. 
And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. And it shall come to pass that when my that, that when any shall yet prophesy, then his father and his mother that beget him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and his mother that beget him shall thrust him through when he prophesieth. In other words, false prophets and idolatry will be revealed. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophet shall be ashamed every one of his vision. When he hath prophesied, neither shall they wear a, a rough garment to deceive. But he shall say, I am no prophet. I am an husbandman, for men taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? That means the people of Israel are going to look on him whom they've pierced and realize this is the Messiah. They're going to come to him and say, Jesus, what are these wounds in thy hands? And look at his answer. Verse number, verse number six. Then shall he answer these, uh, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Wow. When Israel will be judged, they'll turn to him in a day and they'll trust Jesus as their savior. But everything that's false and everything that's idolatrous will be turned aside. Israel, when Israel is judged, ladies and gentlemen, it will be a time of realization. Quickly, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Number fourth judgment is the judgment of the angels. You say, when will that happen? At the end of the millennium. At the end of the millennium. Notice what it says, Revelation chapter 20 and verse number, verse number 1. It says, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, Revelation 20 and verse number one. He's speaking here of the last few moments of this world. Revelation 21, he says, and having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid on hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. Watch when Jesus Christ comes at the end of the tribulation, he'll set up his 1000 year reign. Then he'll set his angel to grab hold of Satan and bind him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit, verse 3, and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And then the Bible speaks of the thrones and the judgments that were given unto him. Notice what the Bible says in verse number seven. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went upon the breadth of the earth and, the, and, and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Watch verse number 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now watch and listen carefully. This is going to be the judgment of the angels. And it will be the judgment of the angels based upon what they did with the word of God. The angels are going to be judged. Two-thirds of the angels decided they were going to follow the Lord. And as far as I can tell, Brother Carnes, it's going to be the angels were only given one choice. Not many choices, one choice. Once they made that choice, it was set. 
But in the book of Revelation, the Bible speaks about what the devil is going to get for his. He's going to get a thousand years of captivity, one last hurrah, and then eternity in the lake of fire. Listen to what the scripture says concerning the, the devil himself. In the, book of, in the book of Isaiah 14, in verse number 19, it says, Thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch. And as the raiment of those that are slain thrust through with the sword that go down to the stones of the pit as a carcass trodden underfoot. Listen to what the Bible says concerning the devil in Ezekiel 28 and verse 19. And they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, listen, and never shalt thou be anymore. In the book of 1 Peter 3, he speaks about the angels that disobeyed. And he says, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits of prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing. Listen to Jude in verse number 6. It says, the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. You see, one-third of the angels disobeyed. Watch closely. Some of those angels were involved in something very different devious, very sinister, very despicable in, Re in Genesis chapter 6. And those that were were put into a special place of prison we call Tartarus. It was a special place of captivity. And they're there. Now there are demons on this earth. It's likely there are demons right here in Fort Morgan and Brush. Some of you maybe have experienced some demonic activity. And as I mentioned last night, demons come through portals, certain portals. But not all the demons are on this earth. Some of them are down in this place. Someday those demons that are in Tartarus will brought, be brought before God. Someday the demons that are on this earth are going to be brought before God. Someday the devil himself will be brought before God out of the bottomless pit. And he will be, all of them will be cast into the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. I'll say there will be a thousand years of hallelujah just because of that. Just because of that. This is the judgment of the angels now to Revelation 20 and verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. Revelation 20 and verse 11 gives us the final judgment. It's the judgment of the great white throne. This is a judgment of retribution. Watch now, watch now. You have the judgment seat of Christ. That is a time of reward. You have the judgment of the nations, a time of rending. You have the judgment of Israel, a time of, of realization. You have the judgment of the angels, a time of reckoning. And number five, you have the judgment of the great white throne. That is a time of retribution. Where will it happen? Watch closely. Watch closely now. Don't miss what I'm saying. After Jesus Christ cast the devil into the lake of fire, he destroys this earth and this heaven with fire. The Bible says the elements will melt with a, with a fervent heat. And then Revelation 20 and verse 11 begins. It says, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Sometimes we say if America dies, where else is someone that's freedom-loving going to go? Well, you need to ask another question. Where is everybody going to go when God destroys this earth and this heaven? Hey, don't you get too tied to this old earth. It won't be here forever. Don't you get tied to the things of this earth. The American dream shouldn't be your dream. Your dream should be, I'm, I'm living for eternity. But the Bible says God's going to destroy this earth and this heaven. And when Jesus Christ sits down on this throne, the sun will flee and hide. The star Arcturus will flee and hide. 
The Milky Way galaxy will flee and hide. The earth will flee and hide, and there won't be any place to go. Then the Bible says that he that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. You know who's going to be there? The richest men on earth that rejected Jesus Christ. Right next to the poorest men on earth who rejected Jesus Christ. The most famous criminals who rejected Jesus Christ. And the least famous criminals who rejected Jesus Christ. And they'll stand before God and the books were open and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Watch verse number 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Now watch this. In Revelation 19, the beast and the false prophet that is the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. Are we going to say hallelujah and amen when that happens? Yes, we will. In Revelation 20 and verse 10, the devil himself will be cast into the lake of fire. Are we going to say hallelujah when the devil is cast into the lake of fire? Yes, we will. Now in verse number 14, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. Are we going to say hallelujah then? That old king death is going to be cast into the lake of fire, and so will hell after its inhabitants have been emptied and brought before the Lord. But look at verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I want to ask you a question. Will we be saying hallelujah then? If we do, it will be with the most somber of tones. Who do you know right now that will someday be cast into the lake of fire? Who do you know right now whose name is not written in the book of life? Who do you know? You know what we ought to be doing with those that we know whose name is not written in the book of life? We ought to be pleading. We ought to be beseeching. We ought to be interceding and praying. We ought to be witnessing. We ought to be crying out to God, asking for an opportunity to win them to Christ. You say, preacher, they're going to deserve it, just like we deserve it. But we found grace. And don't you want them to find grace? Ladies and gentlemen, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is there anybody here whose name is not found written in the book of life? I want to plead with you right now as a gospel preacher. Don't leave this place lost. Don't leave undone. Don't leave with your name not written in the book of life. Don't leave headed to hell. Don't leave rejecting Jesus Christ. Don't leave with your sins unforgiven. Don't leave here lost. When you can leave here saved, when you can come to Jesus, when you can believe on Him, when you can repent of your unbelief and whatever it is that you've trusted in and your sin and call upon the name of the Lord, don't leave here proud. Don't leave here deceived. Don't leave here heading to full-on damnation. Come to Jesus. Believe on Jesus. Trust in Jesus today. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, you know what you ought to make? You ought to make your number one mission getting people out of hell. 
I believe this, Pastor, that if an individual or a family or a church makes their number one mission getting people out of hell, God will take care of much of the rest of their life. God will take care of it. Some of you are looking at a building and thinking about that. And, and, and the next step here at Platte Valley, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that at all. Now, you should give, but you know what you ought to do? You ought to make your number one mission, going to Brush, going to Sterling, going to Fort Morgan, going to Greeley, going to all points in between, and saying, there's a hell, there is a lake of fire, come to Jesus. And you ought to be pleading with people to get out of hell. Charles Spurgeon said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they must perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. And when that becomes our number one passion, we become near to the heart of God because that is his number one passion. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. Would you bow with me? Thank you for your patience tonight. I know the subject matter is, is serious. But I want to plead with you right now to be honest and humble before the Lord. I have just a few questions. Who here tonight would say, preacher, I'm saved and I'm headed to heaven. I know that if Jesus came tonight, I'd go to be with him. But if I stood at the judgment seat of Christ, I'd be ashamed at his coming. There are fleshly things in my life that need to be confessed, forsaken, and replaced with spiritually, spiritual things, scriptural things. You said, preacher, would you pray for me if I stood at the judgment seat of Christ as is right now? I fear there'd be more wood, hay, and stubble than gold, silver, precious stones. Would you pray that I get it right? If that's you, would you slip up your hand, slip it up high? God bless you. Good. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Who else along with these? Now, several of you have raised your hand during the week. Don't just raise your hand. I want to urge you when we sing the first note of the first verse to come to this altar, to pray, to sit on the front row, to get down on your knees. Just stand before the Lord if you need to. Don't stay in your place. Question number two, I want to ask how many in this room would say, Preacher, God's spoken to my heart tonight about someone that I know and love who, as far as I know, their name is not written in the book of life. And I don't want it to remain that way. Would you pray with me that God would use me to point that someone to Jesus Christ? If that's you, would you slip up your hand and slip it up high? Many. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Question number three. How many of you can say, preacher, there are certain things I don't know, but I know this. My name's there. My name's written there in the book of life. I've accepted his gift of eternal life. I'm not hoping or trying to get to heaven. I know I'm going. If you can't say that, don't raise your hand. But if you can, slip your hand up high. Preacher, I know that my name is in the book of life. Slip it up high. God bless you. You may put your hands down. I couldn't see every hand, but I wonder if there's someone here that said, Preacher, I don't know if my name is in the book of life. And I don't want that to stay that way. I want to know, and I want to get this matter settled. Would you pray for me? Yes, I will. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone here like that? Slip it up and let me pray for you. Anyone at all? Preacher, pray for me. I couldn't raise my hand. I don't know that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I don't know that my name is in the book of life, and I want to know that. Anyone at all? Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Let's stand, shall we? With our heads bowed and eyes closed. We're going to have two verses. So whatever you do for Jesus, you better do it on the first verse. We're going to have two verses unless pastor decides otherwise.
Father, speak to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Help us to obey you humbly, quickly, and honestly. And I pray that whatever's wrong would be made right by coming to you and placing our need at the foot of the cross and under the blood. We pray this in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. As the pianist plays and Paul sings, you come right now. Don't stay, don't linger, you come. If you are tired of the load of your sins, let Jesus come into your heart. If you desire a new life to begin, let Jesus come into your heart. Just bow your doubtings before. Your voice cannot still let Jesus come into your heart. If there's a void this world never can fill, let Jesus come into your heart. Just now your doubtings before. Just Father, we thank you for tonight's messages, and Lord, I just pray that you will just prick our hearts tonight and help us, Lord, to have a passion for people that you do, and Lord, your love drove Jesus to that cross, and Father, we thank you, and I know it's a privilege to be a child of God, and so Father, I pray that you help us now as children of God that we will have a desire and have that passion, that love for others as you have, and that, Lord, you'll use us to reach our loved ones and our friends and our families, and, Lord, I pray that you just continue to keep that at the foremost of our mind, knowing that today may be the last day. And so I pray that you will stir in our hearts and continue to guide us, and let not this that we've been challenged with tonight just be forgotten, but applied to our lives. Lord, we love you. Pray your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. God bless.